Sometimes studying the Bible can feel overwhelming and confusing. Grounded in Truth with Janet Dennison will help you learn to study, understand, and apply God's Word to your daily life. His Word is true. And guess what? It's for everyone. So thanks for joining us today as we dive into Scripture together. the Grounded in Truth podcast summer series with me, Janet Dennison. We are looking at some of the heroines of our faith over the next several weeks and hope you'll join as we learn that God can and will use anyone whose heart is surrendered to His will and kingdom purpose. If you think God won't use you because of your past or current circumstances, Walk with us through this study and be encouraged by these women and their faith and devotion to God. You can trust that God has a unique calling for your life. Let's look at today's lesson. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Bible study. Today, we get to study what I refer to as the girl power lesson of the year. I absolutely love the story of Deborah. Uh, She was the only uh, female judge that we have record of anyway. Uh, So Deborah, we're going to talk about leadership. What does it mean to be a faithful leader? Uh, My husband and I talk about this quite often. We're convinced that God is calling far more people into leadership of our country and our culture than are hearing and accepting the call. Uh, Today, I want you to know that there are no limitations. Uh, Sometimes people have put limitations based on gender or race or uh, education background. The only limitations that God places on leadership is there's really just one, and that is every successful leader needs to have the ability to follow. And that's what we're going to see in the story of Deborah. Why was she given a position of leadership? Why was she chosen? Why is she in Scripture? There is no one who's not capable of being a successful leader if God calls them to do that. So let's look at her story. We uh, find this from the story of Judges, but there's been a period of time we left Joshua uh, giving the land to the people. It was divided into families and each family got a spot of land. They had crossed the Jordan and entered into the promised land, which we call Canaan. It was the land west of the Jordan, and that was around 1406 BC. It took Joshua's people seven years to take control of Canaan and another seven to really inhabit the land. They gained political power in seven years, but it was at least another seven before they were really at home there, uh, living there. The original residents of Canaan were pushed out, but not completely. And that culture that stayed behind, remember we talked last week about those that were outside the camp, 
ought not be welcomed in the camp until they're ready to live that holy life. That didn't happen. God had wanted them to make sure that Canaanites were outside the camp. They kept coming back in. So Joshua's farewell address to the people, the one where he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And all of them said, us too. Really just two generations later, there was a lot going on in the land. So it'd been about 30 years at that point. Uh, and the 11 tribes had all been given their land. The family of Levi, which is the 12th tribe, were scattered among the land. They were the priests. So every area, every family spot of land also had spiritual leadership from the Levites, and they had property in every different families. And in that land, there were also what was called cities of refuge. These were places people could go to to find uh, a court, to find somebody who could help them settle disputes if, when they needed a third party to be a judge. And so it was these cities of refuge that enter us into this period that we know of as the judges. The period of the judges was probably about 180 years. It went from about 1200 BC to about 1020 BC. And during this time, um, in the cities of refuge, people who had a reputation for being godly and wise, people who had a reputation for knowing God's word and his will and had that relationship with God that could help them make right choices, were given the title, the job of being a judge. And Deborah, the one we're going to talk about today, is the only female in scripture that was honored with that job to the best of our knowledge. And so um, from Josh, Judges chapters four and five, uh, it seems or archaeology suggests that Deborah was a judge for about 60 years from 1107 to 1067 BC. The first 20 years of her term as a judge was really consumed with battling the Canaanites who wanted to come back in and retake the land. They were trying to move them out of the land, move their culture. The Canaanites were a very pagan society, multiple gods, Balaam being one of them. And so uh, for the first 20 years, Deborah was really involved in helping people uh, fight that battle. The fact Deborah held such an honored position was really unusual in the culture of the day. Uh, she real, she's the only woman who served as a judge. And that fact alone, A, she was a woman. B, she served in one of the highest, most honored positions in Hebrew society as a judge. Those two things should cause us in scripture to look at her and her words and her teaching and her life at a level of honor and respect. We should be interested in knowing the life of Deborah. And so as we study this, I want you to consider the qualities in Deborah's life that made her uh, someone that a nation of people could turn to for guidance. What do you look for in a leader today? Uh, 
hopefully it'll be some of the same things we notice in Deborah's life. Why was her leadership so successful? And what do we learn from the passage that applies to uh, who we look for for spiritual leadership today? Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God is calling leaders who know they're called, who step into the job with confidence, with faith, and with joy, and who realize that a person in a position of leadership is not just there for the sake of a person's life. They're also supposed to be there for the sake of their soul. This is a man who is a Christian businessman running a business. He's not there just to run a company. He doesn't just have employees he's called to pay or she's called to pay. As a Christian, we're also called to invest in their spiritual lives as well. I often tell people as I teach, there should never be a time in your life when you're not aware of who the Lord has given you a leadership position with. People that God's brought to you that you're called and equipped to lead. Always be able to name who those people are. It's never very many. A person can only truly invest in a certain number of lives. But who has God placed you in a position to lead, not just as an example for life, but so that you can minister to their soul as well? That's the story of Deborah. And so we look at the story of Deborah and we pick up in the passage. Verse 4, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, Ehud was a good king, a good leader, not a king, a leader. Um, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That means that they began to sin again. They had been committed to the Lord and now they were waffling in that a bit. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, important name, remember Sisera. He commanded the Canaanite king's army. And he was based in Heresheth Hagoyim. You say it with confidence. I have no idea how to say that, but I'll just, we'll just call it that because Sisera, this army had 900 chariots fitted with iron, and they had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And so the Israelites cried to the Lord for help. 900 chariots fitted with iron is equivalent to a vast army. And so, the Israelites living in the promised land are being attacked by the very people they were supposed to have been, uh, have removed from the land. And so 
Deborah was a judge in the region we know as modern-day Syria. It's north of Megiddo, and it's east of the Mediterranean Sea. This is a beautiful part of the Holy Land. Even as I'm speaking to you right now, I can picture it. It is still a region where the date trees are full of fruit and the banana trees and the crops in the ground. This is a region of the Holy Land that feeds the entire area. It was fertile. It was essential for farming, for fishing. It still is and always has been this piece of dirt that was most disputed, most fought for. The Canaanite culture was pantheistic. It means they had multiple gods. And the people of Israel had begun to compromise their faith by thinking, hey, it's okay if I say a prayer to this God just in case. And so God's blessings for the land were not in abundance at this point. They were mixing cultures. They didn't have God's full blessing. And when you hear 900 chariots, you need to know that the Israelites perceived themselves in a David and Goliath kind of situation. They felt overwhelmed. They felt that there was no way that they had the ability to overpower this army they knew was coming for them. And so Deborah was a prophet. She was the wife of Lepidoth, and who happened to be leading the nation of Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah, which is still talked about today. There was a special place where everybody knew they could come and find Deborah the judge. And she held court there. It was between Ramah and Bethlehem, the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went there to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from, uh, let's just say from Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Again, Deborah the judge sends for Barak. And she looks at him when he arrives and she says, the Lord commands you. Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. And I will lead Sisera, the commander of your enemy Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. Barak said to her, I'll go if you do. That's my Janet Dennison version of that. He says, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. At first, when I used to study this verse, I used to not think real highly of Barak. Uh, well, and we're not really supposed, we're supposed to notice his weaknesses here, but he's still a great warrior. We don't want to think of him as being afraid. He wants Deborah to go with him, much like the people in the future will want to carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle. At this time, if a person was a judge, they were considered especially anointed by God, knowledgeable 
of God's plan, of his will, of his word. Barak wants Deborah to go with him because he very likely wants to make sure he has God's leadership to do this that he's been commanded to do. And so, because judges were and priests and prophetesses, they were seen as people who could communicate the word and will of God. Barak wants Deborah with him. And so Deborah responds, and there's so much in this. I hope I can teach it well. Deborah looks at me and says, certainly I will go with you. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. In other words, Barak, God called you, handed you the opportunity to do something great in the kingdom. But instead, the glory, the honor, the credit for what God had called you to do is going to go to someone else. I wonder sometimes in my own life when I look back, how many times God wanted me to do something, called me to do something, and I didn't think I was able. I thought it was too scary. Maybe I just didn't want to do it. God's will is always accomplished. I wonder how many times we turn over our opportunity to someone else simply because we have doubts or fears. There's one great lesson from this passage. Barak could have known, should have known, that when God calls you to do something, when God commands you to do something, he has already equipped you to do what he's called you to do. God doesn't call us to do things that he also doesn't equip us to accomplish. That's what Deborah was trying to tell Barak at this point. Yes, I'll go with you. I'll do this with you. But understand, you lost something because you lacked the faith to obey on your own. You lost something in the process. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak did summon the men from Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men went up under his command, and Deborah also went with him. And so he goes, but he goes without the opportunity that he could have had. Okay, and so now the Kenite, Heber the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in, you know, there's a lot of words in this passage. Let's just say that they go and made camp near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera, the commander of the enemy army, summoned from where he was, went to the Kishon River with all of his men and 900 chariots 
fitted with iron. Every word in scripture matters. Pay attention to those words, fitted with iron. That meant they were indestructible by swords. It meant they were impenetrable by rocks, by the things that the Hebrew people might have fought with. These chariots, they're like tanks, in other words. You couldn't hardly hurt them with the weapons that Hebrew people had. But here's, in this moment, in this passage, we realize that Deborah's leadership, her ability to deliver on what God has said is confirmed, fulfilled. Deborah knew God's word because what she said was going to happen is exactly what happens. So therefore, we know Deborah was indeed a true, gifted prophetess, preacher, teller of God's word. And so uh, Deborah says to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera, the enemy, and all of his chariots and army by the sword. Somehow, the Hebrew people were able to take this vast army with their swords. Why? They got, it says Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. To get the rest of the story, you have to go to chapter 5, Judges chapter 5, where this is Deborah's song of joy, rejoicing, and you find out what happened in this battle. She says in her song, the kings came, they fought, the kings of Canaan fought, Sisera's army fought, and then at Tanash, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. From Deborah's song, we learn that while the Hebrew men came down the mountain and while Sisera's men were coming through the riverbed, the skies opened up and the rains came. The river Kishon, I've actually been here. One of the, in fact, when we take tours to Israel, one of the things we have to do is be careful in this area. The one thing you never want is heavy rains. There are areas there that go from almost a dry or a dry riverbed. And in the space of an hour can be torrentially flooded rivers. The land has so much clay in it, it drains. The waters run. When the skies open up, flooding is one of the greatest, most significant dangers. We can't even go certain places in Israel with the buses when the rains are heavy. This is what happened. In scripture, it's always important to look at the things only God could do. God called Barak 
into battle through Deborah. There was no way Barak with 10,000 men could beat this army that had the chariots. Except they were chariots loaded with iron and it would not have taken long at all for those chariots to have sunk instantly in the mud and been trapped. And so the reason Sisera fled his chariot is because it wouldn't go. It was stuck in the Kishon River bed in this valley that fills up even to this day and floods. And so Deborah says, march on my soul, be strong. Our souls should be strengthened when we realize that sometimes God fights our battles like only God can fight them. He doesn't leave them for us to A, get credit for, but B, to fight alone. He goes ahead of us and has planned the way. Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to believe and to trust and to not be afraid. So Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth and Sisera's troops fell by the sword. They were trapped in the mud and they were trapped in this valley and they fell by the sword. And scripture says not a man was left except one, the leader. The only man left was Sisera and he fled on foot to the tent of jail, the wife of Heber the Kenite, somebody he thought was a, would have been on his side because there was an alliance between Jabin king of Hazor and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come my Lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. And he said, I'm thirsty. He said, please give me some water. And she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Why is that in there? It's significant. When you wake up in the middle of the night, what's the old story you're told? Get some warm milk. She gave him warm milk and a blanket and an exhausted Sisera soon fell asleep. And then we know what happens again from Deborah's song in chapter five. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Sounds just awful, but I'm sure he enjoyed it. It fulfilled prophecy that Jael, not Barak, is going to be given the praise and the credit for the battle with Sisera. And so, again from Deborah's song. And by the way, if you ever have to teach young people or anywhere from second grade to junior high, this story rocks. Because Jael, after Sisera falls asleep, after his warm milk, and the blanket, her hand reached for a tent peg <clears throat> in her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. 
at her feet he sank. He fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. I don't know why this was a song, but it was. <laughs> it's a song of praise. Bottom line is Barak is in pursuit of Sisera. But by the time Barak arrives, Sisera is already dead. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So she went in with her, and there he lay with the tent peg through his temple, dead. I'm not sure why they had to emphasize dead. The tent peg through the temple probably should say it all. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. This mighty king that thought he was coming back into the land to retake it just lost his entire army and those chariots covered with iron. And how did he lose them? He lost his commander by the hand of a woman, by the hand of a tent-dwelling woman. And so, what do we learn from the lesson of Deborah about what it means to be brave, to be a leader, to accomplish what God's called you to do? God calls all of us to serve. Always know that if God calls you to a task, he will also equip you with what you need for that task. You have what you need to accomplish. I remember when they called me and asked if I would take an adult Sunday school class. And I'd always taught children. I taught second grade at, at, for a living. I was a school teacher. And I remember how fearful I was. And I said I would pray, uh, which meant I'm not going to tell you no now, I'll tell you no later. Uh, and I did pray. And I did decide to take that class of women. And I was so terrified to teach it. God called me, and I knew he was calling me to step out of my comfort zone. Give me 28 second graders, I was completely comfortable. I had seven women, I was terrified. But God wanted me to teach his word. And I'm glad that I followed his call. I'm glad I trusted that if he wanted me to do it, he would help me to do it. What have you been too afraid to do, even though it's here and you, it won't leave you and you feel like you should help you should do that. You should serve there. You should help with this or teach this group. What is it that God's calling you to do for the sake of his kingdom? In this moment, will you remember Deborah's story and what you learned from Barak? If you're called, you're equipped. And if you're called, it's your opportunity. God's going to get the job done but you'll miss your blessing if you leave it for someone else to do. Most everything God calls us to do requires that we trust him, 
that we place our faith in him, that we stay behind him. It's our faith in God that will equip us with what we need to do fulfill our calling. So God's ability to bless and reward our choices depends on our ability to step into, uh, step behind him and follow him in what he calls us to do. And for every Christian, there comes that time when you have that opportunity. Don't let it go to someone else. Your greatest blessings in life are when you step out and tell God, I don't know how I'm going to get this done, but I'm going to trust you to help me. Those are your greatest, most joyful opportunities. 30-something years later, I'd rather teach a Bible passage than do just about anything else. The very thing I was afraid to do is my greatest joy now. So let's look and close it up this way from Deborah's song. May all your enemies perish, Lord. May all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace 40 years. Deborah brought 40 years of peace to her people because she knew God would accomplish what he called them to do. What's key for every leader, everyone who wants to step out and serve God? As Samuel said, has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of rams. If you want to lead for God, the best thing I can suggest is pray, search for, and always find the place of following. Let God go ahead of you to prepare the way. But step out and be ready to follow. And that's the great story from Deborah's song. From Deborah, don't ever let somebody tell you that because of your gender or education or background that you're able or not able. We're able because God equips us to do something. Let that be the only thing that you need to know. Are you called? Be ready to step out. Pray about that this week. I'll see you next week. How are you planning to be more like Christ today than yesterday? You were saved to be transformed into his image now, even in this life. But how? Jesus gave us a path. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. St. Augustine described it as a perfect standard for the Christian life. In their latest book, The Path to Purpose, available at thedailyarticle.org, my husband, Dr. Jim Dennison, and son, Dr. Ryan Dennison, show us how to stay on the path, especially when we feel lost. 
Fear not. This standard isn't a burden, but it's a source of freedom and purpose. Request your copy of The Path to Purpose today at foundationswithjanet.org backslash path. Make every step count.